The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, Fast Money starts right now live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin breaking out, soaring 40% in the last month. But there's another cryptocurrency that everyone is talking about right now. We'll tell you what it is and what has everyone so excited. Plus, one of the biggest and most controversial media voices on the street, Rich Greenfield, is here. And he says, get this, Disney can beat Netflix at its own game if it does just one thing. He'll tell us what that one thing is. But first, we start with what else? The markets and your mission, should you choose to accept it. Buy stocks in the face of rising rates, a potential trade war, and a number of major global indices in correction and that is exactly what investors did today the dow closing up more than 300 points after being down as much as 150 the s p and nasdaq also higher by a percent so what has changed since last week tim we begin with you well scott welcome and and i think obviously the tone today was lessened by saying that there's you know possibilities that this is a, a negotiation ploy etc art of the deal whatever you want it the interesting thing, again, two days in a row, markets rally when rates start to rally. And yet the anxiety that we were feeling before that was all about rates. So uh, if you look at the stocks that have really been outperforming, though, it's the ones that are, you know, arguably more immune to interest rate pressure. So look at the semis. You see Intel, you see the, the SMH, all near essentially all-time highs. Uh, and then you see, uh, you know, some of the banks back to, you know, big day for financials with rates. And I think those are places you stay, Scott. Funny, rates went up, Karen, and so did stocks, right? Rates were yes. down when stocks were down rates turned, market turned. Right. Well, I think what turned the market was Ryan starting to come out really against this and that there would be a much bigger fight, a much bigger discussion and big pushback on Trump. I mean, I, I, for me, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that he's already done enough with, with tax cuts and with easier regulations. I mean, to me, my biggest fear by a lot is this trade war. He says he's not backing down, though, right? After, he says he's not backing Ryan down, but you know what? Last out, he weekend, said he's not they said down. this week they would have the details. Now they're not going to have the details for probably another week. That gives him more time. And you know what? Good for him if he uses this and is able to negotiate a better NAFTA deal. Good That's for him. That's why he can't back down. Do we overreact? Did the market overreact to all this? Well, I think the, the market can only judge the market that's in front of it. And that means the last headline, it has to quantify how much damage or how much uh, tailwinds you're going to get. Yeah, you from know, the market the games kind of everything, right? And the market seemed to have a, a major yeah, but, fit. But I will tell you that the protection of hitting that 200-day moving average or hitting the lows from February is pretty impressive that we did not go back and retest those lows. But to Timmy's point, all correlations seem to be off. You have the 10-year rallying. You have utilities leading. You have the market rallying with it. So I think the market is doing a big job of trying to quantify all of this, which will, in the end, in my opinion, result in higher markets. 
ultimately. All right, so Seberg, what do we do? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think the market overreacted at all. I mean, I think it's a big deal. It is a death blow. I said this on Friday to the administration and to the equity market if China does, er, if uh, President Trump goes through with this. I think the tariffs are a really bad idea, and we're hearing it from Ryan. I think you're absolutely right, Karen. Ryan did sort of turn the market because the expectation is from the marketplace, at least, that you know, cooler heads will prevail, and it is a little bit of a tactic, if you will, to sort of negotiate. I, I don't know if that's the case. I think that the more you have his advisors and people like Paul Ryan dig their, you know, uh, come out with commentary like that, he digs his heels in the ground and says, I'm not going to budge on yeah, that. But, and he but, did come out and say he's not going to budge on but it. But let's be clear. I mean, ultimately, if we hadn't had the market going through essentially five weeks of, of volatility that it hadn't seen, um, I, I don't think markets would have been reacting to this trade deal as much as they were. I, I don't agree with it at all. I think Peter Navarro is totally misplaced. I think he's the yeah. hawk in there. Um, I think you have a dynamic here where we're at 90% capacity for U.S. makers. And, and forget NAFTA negotiations. This is all about midterm elections. This is all about swing states. It's all about the Rust Belt. It, it, absolutely, in my well, view. If, so well, it's, it's kind of odd, though, it, yeah. though that the people that are agreeing with him are once again across the aisle. It's the Democrats that are protectionistic on this, and this is going to help a lot of their Democratic-leading states. So it, it is kind of odd where it's actually a victory for President Trump with the other side of the aisle. The, one, the ones that can't stand him in the same room are actually agreeing on this. So in some weird shape or form, uh, Mr. Seberg, I wonder if it is a victory for them. Well, yeah. I think, though, he is so, he is so concerned about what the market does. Right. And so he saw that reaction. And I think that sort of stunned. And then and then so today to see it down further and then to have people come out against it and start to see the market really rise. I think that that makes a difference. The problem to him. is the market rallied in the face of him even saying I'm. No, he's, he started back off. He said, if we can get a better NAFTA yeah. deal, then I'll exclude the countries. Yeah. Look, at so, 10 o'clock this morning, we 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 went from. Right, he said, I don't think we're going to have a trade war after well, last week said. Yeah. Hey, they're oh, good they're, and they're and easy. easy, right? And, and you saw, <laughs> accordingly, you saw Caterpillar move four percent in two hours from ten o'clock when we started to get these comments. So I think it gets back to the things that were working and, and the things ultimately that are very defendable in an environment where rates, you know, are, are still going to be an issue. Look, we have a payroll number on Friday. Uh, I think the market could be get get ready for possibly another wage number. Remember, that's what started it on two two. That was really what got markets uh, kind of knocked on their ears. So I, I think we get back to the same dynamics. Cash defensive buyback companies, those are going to do. What we're saying, though, it's the economy, stupid, right? I mean, it's like get back to the bread and butter of why this market had started to rally in the, the way that it did. Right. Because of the tax law, right. the earnings, earnings increases that we're going to see, buybacks, 1% corporate tax rate. cash being I, deployed. I know we talk about it a lot, but I think that's the one main aspect, along with the economic data that's bullish. I think that this, earn, this corporate tax cut going from 35 to 21% is incredible for the economy. And I think you're going to see, now you had, you had Buffett last week with Apple. Still long Apple. I would think about adding Apple, actually, at these levels. So I don't think he top-ticked it. And when no one wants to buy Apple, they have a sure. ton uh, The, the only the variable to that is if you blast it too high, you bring the right. Fed into play sooner than they otherwise might be. Right? right? On the economy. Mm. I, I, you might. I mean, that's, that's, that's on, part of the issue about depends, inflation. But we also yeah. have Jay Powell on record saying that the corporate tax cuts are not going to be as inflationary as he once thought. Yeah, but what does he know? I mean, they, they have a, the, the Fed has a, a he knows less that he's than stellar record on predicting the economy. Just a serious question just about sort of Trump and sort of, you know, going in after these tariffs and what have you. You've got 301, the investigation coming out within the next month or, month or so. That is basically going directly at China's jugular when it comes to IP, right, and their infringement on our intellectual property and what that cost is. That cost 
is going to be massive. When that massive cost hits the, the airwaves, right, how do you think people are going to react? That's a direct assault on China, direct assault on technology stocks. It's a very, you have to be very eyes wide open so right now. what are you now, saying, David, though, that this I think is another very, landmine out there? We, there is another about? landmine. I mean, it's a big landmine. The 301 investigation about intellectual property and the value of that is going to be a big landmine. It's coming out soon, and it's a direct assault on China. So you think the tariffs and the sort of trade war, if you will, on, on steel is bad. Wait until you have a direct assault on China and that trade war and the implications on technology All right. stocks. All right. Well, markets in this part of the world may be shrugging off Trump's tariff announcement, but the same can't be said if you make your way across the pond. European markets getting hit on the announcement with the region's biggest indices dropping as much as 3% and losing billions in market cap since then. And our next guest says Europe's troubles are far from over. Chartmaster Carter Worth is at the plasma to break it all down for us tonight. Hey, Carter. Yeah, I thought it would be appropriate to obviously talk about the other side of the trade war, or at least one of the sides. Uh, and, and Europe is just in a permanent, if you can use that word in business, uh, funk. Uh, look at this long-term chart going back to uh, the late 1980s. That is the 1999-2000 peak. Now, think about that. That's 18 years. Let's move this forward um, by one chart. And what we've got is we have made no progress in, frankly, most people's professional lifetime. Um, and we're struggling right there again. We're right on a trend line that if and as it breaks, it would be a, a breakout of that kind of thing. Um, not good. Now, this is, of course, not adjusted for inflation. If you were to look at it adjusted for inflation, forget about being back to the highs, we would still have to climb another 30% just to be breaking even. Um, on a, a sort of inflation-adjusted basis. I mean, it's a permanent placeholder as a short, as far as I'm concerned. So one way to look at the spread over the last two years, uh, S&P up 20, up only three. Pull it back even further. Here is a uh, chart going back 20-plus uh, years. Again, with Europe essentially stuck at its highs, up, of course, from the early 1980s. So let's look at um, the ETF, the EFA. Now, this is the way you can trade this, but it's in dollars. So we know that this has been up, yes, but watch if I put it in euros. And that's maybe the argument that many would have. Well, they say in euros, it's a currency issue. That's what's kept uh, Europe back. I don't think so. I think it's this issue. It's the makeup of the, uh, of the index. You, I mean, how do you compete if you've got tech at 4.7% versus, I mean, there's no Ubers, there's no Lyfts, there's no Netflix, no Google, there, there's no Amazon, there's nothing. Uh, it's, um, it's heavy in financials, of course, and staples. So you've got Unilever and Nestle. You've got a few big oil stocks like Royal Dutch and big banks. You can't win with that. Um, I want to perennially be underweight Europe relative to the U.S. Yeah, come on over. Uh, so as Carter makes his way over here. It's a great uh, point, Tim. Yeah, I, I think he's made a great point. And, and so sometimes it's not as simply as saying, hey, they're lagging and they've got to catch up and they're waiting for the ECB to do something. And if you look at the top of the Eurostock 50, it's L'Oreal. It, it's uh, who else is there? Novartis, Bayer. I mean, you've got a bunch of companies that just don't have the kind of oomph within their names. I, I also think, though, um, that the dynamics in Europe are being held back by the ECB, who meets this week. So does the BOJ. And I think people are very concerned that rates have to go up significantly across the European Union. Let's not forget they're 2.3 percent GDP. So but agree with that point, Carter. Right. And there was a lot of flow last year into Europe, yep. meaning that you were going to get this recovery. But even then, while it was up, it really wasn't 
adjusted for risk, giving you the results that, that you need. You don't think there's more bang right now, guys, in Europe versus the U.S., just based on where valuations are relative to the U.S.? I'm long European financials. I think if you're going to own financials, European financials are actually more geared towards a higher rate environment. Um, I, I think a few of the companies that are in the industrial space are interesting. I think Siemens looks interesting because I don't think it's GE and it's suffered a similar so do you take advantage of some of the declines in these European stocks because of the trade conversation that we've been having over the last many days? I get global exposure if I buy the S&P 500. So that's the way I'll play. I'll let Timmy talk to individual names in Europe. But when I look at how the market has defended, the S&P has defended that double test of that 2532 level in the S&P, we've rallied back. 50%, everyone knows that I love retracements. 50% level is 2702, and then you go to the 618 is 27, let's call it 40-ish around that level. My question to Carter would be, where do you sell this market? Where do you sell the S&P and sell the globe uh, de facto? Right. You're With no, no, what you've level got, you've do got the numbers at? spot on. The 2702 is the 50% from the, from the Friday high to the Friday low, two weeks spread apart. Uh, probably, I would say 2750. Uh, I wouldn't think it gets much more than that. But but this this 50 day on the S and P really is is now something. It's approved me, right? Because I mean, it's fallen below since the first pullback. It's mm -hmm. kind of notched around there. And it's been pushed back down. Do you think we're getting through there in this run? I mean, I think if you look at where we are in relation to the highs, the the, the consensus is that we will exceed those highs. We will make new highs on a reasonable time frame, one, two, three months. I think that you're looking out well past that, well into Q3. Good stuff, Carter. Thank you. It's great to see you. All right, Carter Worth. Uh, buying anything today? I bought Maybe? some emerging markets. Uh, again, they, they've tended to lag some of these moves on a, on a very tactical basis. I think EM, which got back above the 50, very important. It has not broken down like those global stocks. It has a ton of technology in it, including BABA and Tencent at the top of the list. I think the EEM or however you're playing it, you can do that. I play it directly through BABA. And when you look at BABA, the way it gets smacked around as a proxy to China, if the tariffs are not going to be as big a story, then BABA pops right back to that $200 mark. Yeah, took David. some profits in some of these names, technology in particular, Facebook. Uh, you know, took some profits in Facebook. Uh, I love Amazon. I still love Netflix. But Facebook in particular So you're preparing for war here on no, this I'm just, I, Again, I'm just taking some Gosh. off the table there from my Because then you got 302 and 303 right <laughs> behind yeah, Who would, who hey, do you think we'll is going to be the biggest, two, the biggest not beneficiary? Who would it hurt the most? Semiconductors. The I semiconductors. Think, yeah, in particular in technology, it would be the semiconductor stock that get hit the most on this if it is really. Which are at all time highs. Correct. Semis are at all time That's highs, right. effectively. So. All right, coming up <laughs> Bitcoin surging, the crypto making a run at 12000 bucks and just shy of $200 billion in market cap. But it's another coin that's getting all of the attention today. We're going to tell you what it is coming up. Plus, the media war is heating up and one of the most controversial voices in that space, Rich Greenfield, will be here. Tell us why Disney could be about to sweep the rug right out from under Netflix. You're watching Fast Money live at the NASDAQ market site, New York City's Times Square. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Square. Topping the tape today, soaring to an all-time high. The stock rallying nearly 10% for its best day in over a year on what appears to be recirculating headlines that suggest the company might be testing an integration with Bitcoin. So do you stick with Square now or do you fade this recirculation, if you want to call it that? Well, it, it, you know, who cares if it's a recirculation? It, 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 was, it wasn't an invalid headline. So if it's recirculating, it's recirculating. Right, but if it's right, right, right. it gets priced in again. If the game's going to evaporate. Well, you also have PayPal making some initiatives in the Bitcoin arena and the, the big... I would say the 800-pound uh, the gorilla in the room is when Amazon starts accepting payment and who gets there first. 
Maybe an Amazon needs somebody like Square, and I'm long it, so I'm not starting any rumors. I'm saying what the end game could be, or they still remain standalone, but there's tremendous levers they could pull. I they, think they not only have Bitcoin, but they're also building their foundation. Yeah, they're doing the great payments. That in with. And, and the problem is they're getting this, the EBITDA multiple on this in, out in the 2020 is like 36 times. The comps are like 15 to 20. When was it not overpriced? But, but, on no, the way up on. from $12, when this, did you think it was fairly look, valued? I think they've done an excellent job in payments. They've done an excellent job sort of ramping their business and sort of catering and moving upstream, if you will. But we're at a point where we're giving crypto way too much Valuation yeah, but in I, the model, in, I, the, in the evaluation. I, but I, look, I think they did a really nice job on this last earnings call trying to put that in perspective. I mean, but it you, doesn't mean it's a $50 stock. I know, but Square Cash, for example, which now has 7 million users, is, is really going after the underserved folks, and they're starting to monetize a lot of those transactions. So to me, I, I own Square as well. I don't own it because it's a Bitcoin play. Services. I've been taking you put a market the right on that. You put a market on this stock yeah, but you keep, and give it a little bit of premium. Give it a premium. What are you putting on as valuation on Amazon? This is a growth stock. You're not putting uh, all, you're a very bright individual, here's a, here's but you're putting metrics on it. How much money are they potentially going to make from trading cryptos or selling Bitcoin? It doesn't matter. It's, it's, not, it's about services. I, it's I about services. It. They, they the only service work side, so they've absolutely ramped it. They've ramped their services business. I get that. The payments business, I will say to you, people mispriced this. They thought it was a payment processor. It's not. I understand that, and I'm giving them credit for that. I'm going to give them a 25 ish, let's call it EBITDA multiple in 2020. They're trading at 36 right now. 25 is being super generous. Just and revenues are up 47 for the growth aspect of this business. The, the, the momentum is not is, out. is on a trajectory that's actually better. So in other words, it's not one of these companies that's starting to level off. I mean, adjusted revenues were up 47% last quarter. I, I'm a guy that does not like to chase expensive multiples, as I, I think know. you know. And therefore, uh, I think this company's got multiple channels here where they're serving the, the consumer business at a time when, look at the IWM, look at the growth story. I mean, that's really where they're well positioned. All right, still ahead. One of the most controversial voices in the media space, Rich Greenfield, is in the house. And he says Disney can make a strong run at Netflix if they do one thing. And trust us, stranger things have happened. It looks happy, In the meantime, looks mean. Look at here's him. what else is coming up on Fast. It's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. Well, not really, because McDonald's shares are nearing bear market territory. But something happened today that suggests now might be the time to buy. We'll explain. Plus, Fast is going west in search of digital gold. We're at the most important blockchain conference in America to talk to the biggest names and investors in Bitcoin. That's tomorrow at 5 p.m. And the Oscar goes to... Icarus, Brian Fogel, and Dan Hogan. Thank you. Thank you to the Academy. Thanks to Ted Sarandos, Lisa Nishimura, and Adam Daldeo, our incredible partners at Netflix. <laughs> yeah, that was Netflix's golden Oscar moment last night, winning the Academy Award, Award for their documentary Icarus and passing some major milestones today. For more on that, let's bring in a man who has never won an Oscar. <laughs> oh, man. Go ahead. Bring that up. Hey, Bring that up. Oh, that's what they write. That's what they it's wrote. It's a sore point. Bob. That's a sore point. 
Thank you, Scotty. <laughs> They're winning the film Oscars and the stock Oscars. I'm talking about Netflix here. They're up 64% year to date. It started the year with a market cap of $86 billion. Look where it is today. Today it has a market cap of $137 billion. Now, this is a big number for an important reason. In the last week or two, Netflix has blown past some very big names in the S&P 500. It now has a bigger market cap than General Electric, than McDonald's, than Honeywell, than Nikes, and it's about to blow past 3M, which is also at $137 billion. All this just in the last couple of weeks. Today, UBS and Macquarie hiked their price targets. UBS analyst Eric Sheridan argued that Netflix has achieved the same level of interest and recognition that the premium programming producers generate. He moved his price target to $345 from $290. I think Macquarie, though, is more interesting. The analyst there, Tim Nolan, said Netflix had every secular trend in its favor. He ticked off subscriber growth and pricing, the two most important things. But he also noticed something interesting, the proliferation of ultra ultra-high-definition TVs is also a big help to the bottom line. Now, Netflix charges a premium to receive content in that format. So they charge $10 per month for a standard HD plan, but its ultra-HD plan for 4K TVs costs $14 a month, $4 more. Why is that important? Well, that could add up to a lot of money. Macquarie says the prevalence of 4K televisions in North America could reach 50% by 2020. It's only 12% just two years ago, 2016. So Nolan's got a 12-month price target of $330 on Netflix. But at this rate, we'll be here by the end of the week, Scotty. Back to you. All right, Bob Pisani, thank you so much. Uh, you own Netflix. What's the trade, David? Love Netflix. Netflix is a name that I, I, I completely stand behind. I mean, listen, I think my view on Netflix in the short run, if I look at it, is that they play this sub-game masterfully, right? But Reed Hastings made a comment a little while back about India, and he talked about the next 100 million subscribers coming from India. I think Cowan, at Cowan, we have roughly 14 million subscribers estimated for 2028, which is like insane. So I look at it and say, if that's really a growth channel for them, the way he claims it to be, it's off to the races here. So I think that's about valuation. <laughs> you were just lambasting yeah. yeah. I mean, As a matter of fact, we took numbers down last, after last quarter. It's not about you. numbers. Right on the stock, it's about expectations have a great and call. beating expectations and subgrowth. I mean, please. You were this early is, in Netflix. It, it, Kudos to you. Early. You know, anyway. We're early. All right. <laughs> So one of the biggest Netflix bulls says Disney could actually give Netflix a run for their money. Rich Greenfield is BTIG senior media analyst and I keep saying controversial. How about Fast Money Friend? Are you controversial? Fast Money Friend, fast I like that. You, are you yeah. controversial? I mean, you think you're controversial? Look, look, Disney has to go all in. You know, you can't, there is no like putting your toe in the water and playing the streaming game. So what do I mean by going all in? So take a movie like Black Panther. Huge movie, right? $500 million domestic box office. That's tremendous. But think about what that actually means. That means that $10 ticket price, 50 million people, figure three people per home went to see it in a group. You're talking about 16 million people went to see Black Panther. If Disney really wants to build a massive streaming business, Black Panther should be on their streaming service that they launch next year. Mm -hmm. Star Wars Episode Nine should be. They should be launching day and date with all of their best content, not trying to create incremental content and trying to say, hey, go to the movies and see our theaters. Buy our movies on, you know, buy our movies on iTunes. Also, subscribe to a multi-channel cable package at eighty to one hundred dollars a month. They want to have, they want to basically have their cake and eat it too, because they don't want to disrupt their legacy businesses while they build the new business. Are if you want right. to win? They got to go for it. Uh, can they? Are they going to do that? No. Because, Why not? <laughs> because what? Because going for it means disrupting earnings right. and taking a step down in earnings. Not, you know, 
look, a lot of the biggest criticism of Netflix, right, is that they don't make money now, and that they're losing money now. $2 billion of negative free cash flow. That's the pushback. And so Disney would have to meaningfully step back in earnings. And so what is Disney doing instead of stepping back and pressuring earnings to build for the long term? They're going out and buying content in Fox. So they're trying to go out and buy Fox. That's going to take probably 12 to 18 months to close. The content they get. So you mentioned... But you're, you're hating on that deal? Well, if I'm Disney... What should I be doing with $80 billion of capital? I should be investing in the future. So let's take what happened last night. Shape of Water won Best Picture. Three Billboards won a bunch of awards, too. Those movies that Disney's going to acquire as part of buying Fox, those movies go through HBO. They're committed. They're encumbered through an HBO deal that doesn't end until 2023. So if Disney, again, if they want to put money to work, they should be building. They're the best content creator on the entire planet. I don't think anyone could even debate that point. Nobody does it better than the Walt Disney Company. So just go for it. Like, gun content, direct to consumer. Buying Fox, look, a lot of that content is stuck going through. Think about it. Some of their best TV shows that Fox makes, This Is Us. You're, you know, NBC has that show for years to come. Hulu has the, you know, the late or the kind of the secondary window to that content. You can't get at that because it's all encumbered. That's really the problem is that whenever you buy a legacy media company, it has all of these distribution outlets that are already stuck in motion. Whereas if Disney just spent and created its new content directly for the consumer, they could win. So let me ask something. If that's really the case, that they don't want to take the hit now, then they must think that they could not ever take a hit? That doesn't quite make sense to me, right? Well, Jeff Bukas is selling his company. Rupert Murdoch is selling his company. Ken Lowe at Scripps, so we went through. Right. Time Warner. Right, so you're saying, though, they think they can buy it and not take a hit. Well, I think maybe the, the reality is extend the runway long enough. You know, basically, you know, I always think about that March of the Penguins movie where the penguins huddle closer and closer together. If they huddle closer and they make a big enough pack, they'll survive winter a little longer. You know, it doesn't fix the problem that Disney faces, but it gives them a lot of cost savings. Are you 100 percent certain that, that this deal is going to even happen, Disney Fox? Well, look, we still think Comcast should. I mean, we think Comcast is a much better buyer. If I'm a Fox shareholder, you should want to, them to talk to Comcast. I mean, Comcast can pay more. The synergies, when you think about you Sky think they, as a you satellite. Think they are. Look, Comcast is already trying to buy Sky. Right. Why stop at Sky if you're Comcast? If you're going to buy Sky, that's the biggest piece. Bob Iger called Sky. I think on TV, he literally called it the crown jewel of this transaction. If you're going to buy Sky, you should just try to buy all of so Fox. So game it all for me, then. How is it going to play out? That's what you get paid to do. Look, I think, I think Comcast is very serious. And if, as long as Fox is doing its job, Fox should entertain discussions with Comcast and see if they can produce. I mean, the breakup fee is a billion and a half dollars. That's nothing in the scheme of Comcast. It's a $200-plus billion company. The synergies are significant. Look, I could also make yeah, an argument trusting. Comcast could go out and buy other things or just gun content and go direct to consumer. But Comcast is in the distribution business. Mm -hmm. They really believe in that business. There are meaningful synergies to Comcast buying Sky and buying all of Fox, far more so than there are for Disney. So, so back to the distribution business and Netflix, sure. which you've had a great call on. You, you're at 310. You've been 330. There for, and you've been there for a long time. Yep. You didn't just pop there. How do we get around this valuation? And is it a content company? Is it a distribution company? Neither multiple makes sense to me. Well, look, I think you have to look at what it, what, why it, what's happened to Netflix over the course of the last few months. And I think two major things have happened. One, they demonstrated pricing power. So they raised the price. Two years ago when they raised price, subscribers canceled, people complained, there was front page news. You probably were running stories on air about people being upset and all the 
This time they raised price by 10% worldwide and more people signed up in the quarter than ever before. So they clearly have pricing power. People want that content. And I'm staring right past you, and there's actually a billboard sitting right behind us on the Fast Money Air advertising new Netflix Rich, all those headwinds are now tailwinds. It used to be they couldn't expand internationally. They couldn't curate uh, uh, programming internationally. Now they're all tailwinds. And it used to be, who's going to buy Netflix? Is Netflix too big to get bought now? Are they the new Disney? You know, at $130 billion plus $136 billion market cap, I think it's getting hard to imagine anyone buying Netflix. I mean, maybe you have companies like Apple or Google, obviously always possible. But I think the, the size of Netflix and the, the runway that, yeah. you know, you all have been kind of discussing, they see where this is going. I mean, you mentioned yeah. India. If you believe even half of your India story, <laughs> yeah. why would you sell for... 150 or 160, Netflix probably thinks this is a 200, 300 billion dollar company. We're just starting. The world's move, you know, broadband is coming across the entire world. It's not just, you know, in the U.S. and, and kind of developed markets. There's a lot of, you know, earlier stage broadband markets that are growing rapidly. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, back to our parent company, um, sure. Comcast. You said how much the, the Sky deal makes strategic sense. I think investors right. like it a lot more, then too. why was the stock, why was Comcast stock down? I think it was around 5% the day that the story uh, uh, was reported. Look, I, I It was think, a tough market today, by the way. I that understand, was, but the look, stock was still fair. down 5%. Look, there is certainly a group of Comcast investors that would like them to just buy back stock and basically, you know, harvest cash out of their great broadband I don't want to say the word monopoly, but, I mean, it's close to them, right? I mean, they have pretty good broadband prowess. It's hard to choose Comcast in most markets other than Comcast for a broadband provider. So it's a pretty good, solid business. But, look, the video businesses, they're losing video subscribers. Pricing power is disappearing. Obviously, right, you're talking much about higher Netflix. margins on broadband than you did sure. do that, so, that anyway, right? So, so there's basically a story of, like, hey, you're really good at your broadband. If anything, maybe buy in wireless, but don't buy more. You know, buy satellite subscribers and cable networks. In Sky, do you really need to do that? On the other hand, strategically, you know, I certainly see that the, the synergies are certainly bigger for Comcast than they are for Disney. Could I argue that both companies, there's other things they should be doing, like we're talking about with Disney? Sure. I mean, look, Comcast could go out. I mean, I think Comcast buying Twitter makes a lot of sense, too. Let me end with one, one last question related to Disney. Um, since you became as negative as you have been sure. on Disney, if I say, okay, since Rich Greenfield, um, you know, Dumped the whole big bowl of you know what on our company. Put a sell on Disney. We've got we did the Fox deal. We got more theme park stuff happening. We got more movies happening. We got a, a streaming service coming. Why aren't you as positive as you have been since you turned so negative on Disney? You know what I'm saying? None of that says maybe I should take a different look at this company? I would actually reverse it. Uh, you know, imagine what would have happened to Disney stock if the movies hadn't been so, I mean, think about it on a scale of one to 10. Disney's they movie success it. has probably been a 15. Yep. Just they crushed it. Uh, again, I don't know probability perfectly on movies. I don't think anybody does, but the odds of maintaining this level of outperformance consistently, you know, take a 20, 30 year time frame, that would be unprecedented. So the, you're buying Disney now at sort of, Approaching, if not at peak film earnings, and its ESPN troubles are just getting worse. I mean, there is no answer to this problem. I mean, look at what's happened. NFL ratings down 9%. Oscar ratings on ABC, but not that they're specific, but Oscar ratings were down, I think, 19% in viewers last night. Grammys were down on CBS, down 25%. I mean, people are tuning out of live TV and they're cutting the cord. 
There's no fixing that problem. It's going to get worse. And so they've got to go to direct to consumer far faster. And what they're trying to do, like they're launching ESPN later this year without ESPN. So it's, it's all of the it's going to be none of the content that's on ESPN on a five dollar ESPN add on. It, it sort of sounds like a very tough sell to consumers who already think they pay a lot of money for ESPN and cable. And so this wanting to have your cake and eat it, too, I think is a flawed strategy. We just want Disney to embrace the future and go all in. And anything short of that, you're not budget. We're not convinced. Yeah. Rich, thanks. Thank All you. Right, Rich Greenfield. Still ahead, Bitcoin soaring more than 20% in the last week, making a run towards 12,000. But there's another cryptocurrency that's getting all of the attention. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, from crypto to cannabis, a number of Las Vegas casino operators are cracking down on pot, even though it's legal in Nevada. What's that about? We've got the details. Much more Fast Money right after this. The reason you can not only focus on China is because of the spillover effect. China sends product all over to the world to other countries. They then send it into the United States. Or the Chinese steel so overwhelms the steel industries of other countries that they are forced to send into the United States. So this is a problem that spans more than just China. It's all of the countries of the world. Well, that was Nucor CEO John Ferriola sitting down with CNBC's Jim Cramer moments ago, talking President Trump's proposed steel tariffs. Grasso, you have a comment here? I, I mean, if you look at the space, it didn't really react the way you would, would have thought. It's, it's almost the reverse of the reverse. But I look at all the charts, a lot of these charts, Nucor in particular, is up 6% year to date. It looks slightly double toppy for me. And I think that people look at something like this, they react, and they say, oh, why are we not seeing a breakthrough on recent highs? I'm just going to dump it because it hasn't performed or it's performed too much, and I really think it's already baked in. All right, well, hold on a second because we have a Kramer alert. Booyah! Jim Kramer <laughs> joins us now from the Mad Money studio. Hey, Jimmy, uh, your big takeaway from Nucor was what? Okay, look, I, I understand exactly what Steve was saying because the stock seems punk here. It did move up in anticipation of what uh, something that John Ferriola told me would happen over and over again, which were going to be tariff announcements. Uh, I do think that if you got tariffs uh, anywhere near 25%, uh, you'll look back and say, how could I not have bought the stock right here? It is an amazing company. It is the only growth stock in the, in the group. It has a fantastic balance sheet. Uh, John, I think, makes a very good case that it really is about China. And anybody who thinks it's not about China has not done the homework. Yeah, well, Nucor isn't the only big interview for you tonight. You also sat down with Domino's CEO uh, to talk about the future. Uh, let's take a listen to that. We think it's three to five years out, and so we're investing heavily. We announced the second round of testing with Ford down in Miami last week. So we are absolutely looking at it. We're investing aggressively. We're looking at you know, at how that transportation change is going to affect our customers, how they interact with us. They've got to come out of their homes or their apartments to get the pizza. So we're learning about that investing. We think it's a great opportunity for us. Jimmy, I know how much you like talking to Patty Doyle. You bet. And listen, Scott, they are the uh, technology leader in pretty much everything. They were the first ones to be able to make it so you could order online and order Facebook, order Twitter. Uh, it, it, look, they are the ones that are going to move the ball when it comes to driverless cars because that's what they care about. And it's going to be them that makes you feel like, you know what, these, it's here. And it's going to be here a lot faster than people realize. So watch Domino's, watch autonomous driving. It's coming. It's happening. It's going to be three years and then boom.
Hey, hey, Jimmy, it's Tim. So is this eat pizza? And therefore, what do, what do you do with that multiple? Because that's really the only pushback. Stock's gone from 170 to 210. It, it looks great. The international is great. Everything you said. What's the multiple you put on it? Well, I've got to tell you, I think that, what, that it's difficult to figure out because Papa John's has, is, is really kind of in big trouble. Uh, I have to tell you that Pizza Hut has cut back on the number of stores, not doing nearly as well as it looks like because they've shut a lot of stores. So I think Domino's can go higher. There have been a glitch in international involving Japan, and Japan's already fixed that. I think the stock can go, let's say, 230, 240, uh, and that's where I think that it will head before Patty retires later this year. Yep. Jimmy, good stuff. Thanks. Thank as you, always. Guys. All right, you can catch Jim Cramer's full interviews with the new core CEO, Domino's CEO as well. Tonight, Mad Money, top of the hour, not too far from now, about 15 minutes or so. Timmy, trade? Yeah, look, well, look, I'm still, people watching the show, I've been, I've been long steel for a long time. And, and at some point, um, we priced in probably $700 a, a ton on HRC. We're probably going to get to 900 So I, I think they can go higher. Uh, I think there's been a lot of news priced in, and, and let's see how these things play out. But Hard to feel bad about the steel companies now. What I worry about is the capacity in the industry, the supply discipline, and that's a two or three year down the road problem. Grasso, letter X. So, uh, well, I, can, I, can I take a uh, player's choice on this? Can I go Domino's? Go. Can I talk about Domino's here? Go. You know, we, we started talking about Domino's choice. years ago. In 2012, the stock was around $30 uh, a share. Under Patrick Doyle's watch, this stock has outperformed Apple. I saw the stat today, Apple, Amazon, and Google. I think that is your headwind when he resigns, when he, when he leaves the company. That's your headwind in an otherwise perfect execution that he's had in the name. Okay. Sticking with fast food and the biggest one, McDonald's is nearing bear market territory, and that's attracting some attention in the options pits. Let's go to Mike Coe out in Austin, Texas, to break it down for us. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So as you pointed out, McDonald's obviously has fallen pretty sharply off of the highs that we saw not that long ago. But we did see some bullish activity, calls outpacing puts by about two to one on above average call volume today. And where we saw the most activity were buyers of the April 155 calls, over a thousand of those trading for about $2.60. So buyers of those are making bullish bets that McDonald's could recover 5% or more within the next 45 days or so. And I think this is an interesting situation because, of course, we think of this as a mature business, but it is a mature business that has been growing EPS very nicely around 13 to 15%, and it's likely to do that again, I think, this coming year. Yeah. All right, Mikey, more options action. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Who's got a comment? Well, I'm long no, McDonald's, long. and I have to tell you, I have not been nibbling on the way down here, and the stock really, I think they're, you know, Easterbrook, they're, they're executing, they're doing a great job, and I think it's also got this digital component of their valuation that I think people aren't paying attention to. They have been growing top line. I think the labor costs are an issue. I'd buy it here. I agree with you. I think it's the digital side of it. They're embracing it. There absolutely could be a lot. It's an old business, but they're, they're embracing technology correctly. They've made some the right menu shifts, and I think this is a name that's going to continue to work. So I think money will start to flow in at these levels. Okay, still ahead, Bitcoin soaring, but it's another cryptocurrency that's all the rage on Twitter today. We'll tell you what it is coming up. You're watching Fast Money live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Las Vegas facing a cannabis conundrum as a number of pot-related companies turn to casinos to clean their cash. Jane Wells out in Sin City itself with the very latest for us. Hey, Jane. Hey, you know, they're arguably the two biggest industries in Las Vegas right now. But since casinos 
uh, could lose their licenses if they violate federal law. And since pot is against federal law, even the whiff of pot or pot money cannot be anywhere inside their properties. That even includes companies that maybe don't even handle the, the plant itself, like the CEO of Mass Roots, which is a website that has news and reviews of cannabis, not actual pot itself. That CEO tried to apply for loyalty card at the win, listed his company. Not only was he turned down, but he was banned for life. So today, the State Gaming Policy Committee, which includes the governor and uh, MGM Resort CEO Jim Murren, got together to come up with some new rules. Casinos cannot be in any sort of business with the marijuana industry in any capacity. They can continue to allow pot conventions on site because those have certain First Amendment protections. I think it uh, provides uh, teeth to uh, a difficult issue, uh, but also understands the fluid nature of conflicting laws between the United States and uh, Nevada. Uh, and I'm fully in support of, of these changes. Here's the real problem, guys, um, money laundering, even if the money is legal in the eyes of the state. One CEO of a very large cannabis company told me, no bank will take his cash. So he brings the cash to Vegas, goes in the casino, turns it into chips, gambles a little bit of it, eventually cashes those chips in for a check that he can deposit into a bank. Very difficult to know how much of that is going on and how to stop it. Back to you. All right, Jane, thank you very much. So will pot stocks take a hit on a new crackdown by the casinos? Timmy? No. Um, but again, it's the federal laws that they're trying to stay away from, Jane, really getting to a place where that industry needs funding. And there's very little credit for the cannabis world. By the way, there's a strong association with crypto. And those two industries seem to be more aligned than ever for that reason. How many other in, uh, sectors can you say uh, are capable of money laundering at a casino? You could go there with a, <laughs> with a ton of cash and then do the same thing. So I think this is a headline risk, and that's all it is. Cannabis stocks were ripping so. today, by the way. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, again, technically, these stocks have been on fire after a big bottoming in January. And I think some of this is sessions-related. Some of it is their earnings are coming out. These guys are showing they're actually making money. All right, from cannabis to crypto, take a look at Bitcoin making a run towards 12000 today. It's now up 20% in the last week, but it's another cryptocurrency that's catching a lot of attention today, and that's Ripple. Yeah, wow. briefly topping wow. $1 <laughs> today Lovely. ahead of a big interview with the CEO tomorrow at our special Fast Goes Crypto show. We will be live at the Credit Suisse Blockchain Symposium in San Francisco. Oh, man, we have a great lineup. Some of the biggest names in the space, John Burbank, Passport Capital, Chamath Palihapitiya is there, Asif Hirji, I hope that's right. Uh, and so, and uh, Brad Garlinghouse. We'll sit down with everybody tomorrow. Looking forward to that. And Brian Kelly and Dan Nathan are already out there getting ready for the conference. BK, we'll start out with you. Who are you most excited to hear from? The person whose name I butchered? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, listen, I think the conference in general, what I'm excited about is when we, in New York, we focus a lot on investing. Out here, it's going to be a lot about blockchain. And that's what this, this conference is going to be about, the kind of technology behind it. John Burbank, certainly interested in hearing what he's doing in the space. Um, so I think it's going to be a little different than what we talk about every day, but really fascinating stuff. Yeah, Dan, some of the biggest yeah, so names. Yeah, when you think about it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Scott, so when you think about it, I mean, listen, this is really focused towards VCs, and it's really talking about the blockchain tech, how it's this 
intermediating a lot of business processes, applications um, right now. It's really thinking about the next 20 years in this technology. So to me, I'm really excited about, you know, some panels on blockchain in the enterprise or um, just kind of uh, making cross-border payments or payments in general a bit easier. Those are the trends, I think, that are going to disrupt some of these large technology and financial incumbents uh, for the next 20 years. Yeah. BK, if we're talking about blockchain, and, and uh, you know I'm, lo I'm long overstock, and people don't look at it as a blockchain angle to play, what are your thoughts on uh, T0, the solely owned subsidiary in overstock? Yeah, well, just for full disclosure, I'm an investor and advisor in T0. I love, in general, the space, uh, the securities token space this year. I think that's going to be a big theme for 2018. And what I mean by that is companies that are going effectively public using a Regulation A, Regulation A uh, Plus token offering, uh, just like a stock does. So I think that's going to be very, very big this year. Karen. BK, let me ask you, do you think that Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies care about where the U.S., where world markets trade? Are they correlated? They have been uncorrelated uh, for the last couple years. I have noticed recently some people talking about, you know, using Bitcoin as a hedge against some of the turmoil, because what we're talking about globally now is political turmoil. And political turmoil directly affects currencies. So I have picked up a little bit of chatter that, hey, you know what, maybe Bitcoin is going to be a hedge. And in fact, we even did a little piece on it last week, Karen. All right. All right. Gentlemen, we'll see you tomorrow. Look forward to it. Be sure to stay tuned to our special Fast Goes West Crypto Edition, 5 p.m. tomorrow. You won't want to miss it. We'll be hot. Final Trades next. Time for Final Trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour with Scott, a big smile on his face smile. here first. Great to have you because you've been here today, Scott. Thank you. McDonald's, Thank you, I, I think this pullback <laughs> is a time to buy the stock. Karen. Uh, Citibank also, this pullback, I think. There's some good things going on. Throw banks, Volcker rule, hopefully easier. Higher rates, Citibank. Seaberg, uh, Square, you know the reasons why. I just think it's too far too fast. Sell Square here. Uh, square, I think you should be buyer here. And if you want to keep it on, no one's ever went broke by taking profits. Keep it All on right, a short chain. I'm Scott Wabner. Catch Fast Money again, 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Don't forget about the special show tomorrow from yeah. San Francisco. Mad Money with Kramer begins now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.